Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 91. Now is not the time to reject this new covenant testimony of Yeshua. If you go by the way and say, I've had enough of it, bye-bye, and you think, I'm looking for something else a little greener on the other side of the hill, or a lot less Christian, as some people are saying, you're going to regret it, and in the end, it's not going to go well for you. Shalom, friends. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and you're tuned into Real Israel Talk Radio. Today's program is episode 91 and part 27 in my Defining Biblical Love series based on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we'll continue now with our detailed look into how we might better understand Paul's Hebraic theology that divine biblical love never fails. Let's just call this an unfailing love. Now, previously, we spoke about Yehovah's enduring love, meaning so entangled with us and in us that we are fundamentally stuck with Him and He with us, that Yehovah is not going anywhere, period. He walks with us, and he will see us through as overcomers right unto the end, meaning the arrival of the last day resurrection and subsequent transfer of our lives from darkness unto light and from an old eternal death into a new eternal life. This, of course, is our hope. It is what we are supposed to be looking forward to every day. Nearly 900 years ago, in the days of the Jewish physician and scholar Moshe ben Maimon, referred to as the Rambam, he wrote down 13 principles of the Jewish faith. These 13 principles came to be the very essence or foundation for what the Rambam came to define as someone who is a true, authentic Jew. Of the 13 principles of the Jewish faith, here is principle number 12, as written by Moshe ben Maimon. I believe with perfect faith that he guarantees that the Messiah will come, and at that time, the kingship of the Davidic line will be restored. And principle number 13, I believe with perfect faith that he will resurrect the righteous dead. Now, these two declarations came out of ancient Jewish oral tradition, supposedly originating with Moses at Mount Sinai, or so they say, until it finally came to be written down late in the second century of this common era, which is often referred to with the letters C period E period. And why was oral tradition replaced with teachings written down, 
such as Judaism's 13 Principles of the Faith? Well, would you like the short answer or the long answer? Okay, well, let's go with the short answer for now. For a long time, Judaism's religious leaders understood that something had to be done to preserve and protect all of the sayings passed down from the fathers of the Jewish faith. The rabbinic scholar tasked with putting everything down in writing was one referred to as Yehuda or Judah the Prince, also called Harav or Yehuda Hanasi. Having all of the oral traditions written down, Yehuda Hanasi or Judah the Prince fundamentally saved Judaism, so to speak, so that the nation's traditions might not forever fall into oblivion due to persecution or for the simple fact that the lessons could be forgotten. Primarily, Yehuda Hanasi picked up the mantle of all the Jewish oral traditions that had been circulating from the very beginning and up to his own time, and he turned all of it into a written-only text. It was a vast but growing collection of oral traditions, signified as Torah Shebaalpeh. Again, Torah Shebaalpeh. That is, basically, a teaching on or with the mouth, or, if you will, oral law. So we learn that which was once a repeated tradition from a rabbinic master to his student was now replaced with a written text. Thus it came to be studied and committed to memory by way of regular repetition. As a result, it came to be known as what is called the Mishnah, simply meaning secondary, like that of repeating something over and over again. Hundreds of years after Yehuda Hanasi, another body of teachings emerged based on the Mishnah of the Rab Yehuda Hanasi, or Judah the Prince. This body of law was called Gemara, meaning to finish or complete. The texts of the Gemara are essentially contained through volumes of discussions, arguments, and commentary on the secondary and repeated traditions of the Mishnah. So, collectively, this body of teachings, traditions, and laws all came to be known as Talmud, coming from the Hebrew word lilmod, meaning to learn or to study. Centuries after the volumes of legal opinions, traditions, and teachings within the passed-down works of the Talmud, the Jewish physician and philosopher Moshe ben Maimon, referred to as the Rambam, had much to say about the values of Jewish law and its daily applications. The Rambam lived in the 1100s, and he was the court physician to the great Islamic leader Salah Adin. 
in Egypt. The Rambam was a great mind and philosopher of the time. Now, all this said, we can now return full circle to Rambam's 13 principles of faith. Over the centuries, and really with so much persecution against Jews, it was understood that if the Jew was to survive, it was clearly up to us as Jews to remain resilient irrepressible, and yes, even durable in the face of global changing times and persecutions. So, why the persecutions, you might ask? Well, I think that is a story for another time. However, I think generally, from my perspective, Jews and the behaviors that we have were just far too different from those of the surrounding cultures where, over the centuries, we found our homes and our lives, at least initially. After all, we had and continued to have our own religious and cultural laws, values, and ways of living compared to those around us. The more separated from the values and practices of the nations, the more persecutions we learned to endure. Over time, it came to a point where Jews lost national identity through religious self-destruction and spiritual assimilation. Sometimes we might refer to this today as Jewish self-hatred. In a sense, this became a plague for self-preservation. All the endurance and cultural durability lessons that we had learned from our predecessors just kind of went out the window. For self-preservation, many Jewish people chose instead to no longer remain as target practice for our enemies. Instead, the Jewish defense was to essentially assimilate among the nations, changing our names from Jewish names into Anglo names, and things like that, all drawing attention away from us as Jews so that we might become like them, the Gentiles. This Jewish strategy actually worked for a time, but it still was not Yehovah's approach to holiness and separation to be like him. Through the prophet Jeremiah, Yehovah gave the following words, Jeremiah 7 23 through 28. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the ways which I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt, until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending. Yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers, 
Therefore you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. So you shall say to them, This is a nation that does not obey the voice of Jehovah their Elohim, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. Well, later was Jehovah's word to us through Yeshua, who said in Mark 8, 35 through 37, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And that includes assimilation among the Gentiles or the Goyim. In other words, to become like them because of feeling shame of who you are as Israel in the spiritual realm. But Yeshua goes on to say, Whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So I would say that in our collective psyche from our ancestors of long ago, echoing in our minds and hearts due to our fears that we're going to get more persecution coming from those around us because we're in their world. We're living among them in a kind of exile. And we don't like persecution. So we sort of find a way to become like them instead of becoming separated from them and doing what Jehovah has asked us to do. We live in fear. As a result, we'll just kind of just play along with the program and don't make a big deal about who we are as an Israel or as a Jew or as somebody who's connected to the word of yud heh vav Yehovah. So here are some of the words belonging to our ancestors based on Jeremiah 44, 16 through 18. And these are words being spoken to the prophet Jeremiah. They said, We will not listen to you, but we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our mouth to burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her, as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah, and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food. We were well off. We saw no trouble. Oh, but since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything. And we have been consumed by the sword and by famine. So you can clearly see there is a fear factor involved here. These people just wanted nothing to do with Jehovah because connecting to him meant that we were just going to invite trouble into our lives and into our communities from all of those surrounding us. And that just was not fun. So it was just a better option that if we didn't want to fight them, 
we would just simply join them. Well, these words do show us a Hebrew nation that does not know Yehovah's love, a nation that has lost hope and has lost its way back to a just salvation and deliverance from Yehovah. This is a nation that has essentially forgotten the 13 principles of the faith as the Rambam expressed them. And long before Moshe ben Maimon, the Rambam, Paul also was writing some very similar things to remind the people of his day of what they needed to do and what they needed to avoid. And I think Paul understood this in his own day, as he did see that something horrible and wicked was coming in his not-too-distant future. Paul saw the Second Temple's destruction in the year 70 of this common era by General Titus, or Titus, who was the son of Emperor Vespasianos, or Vespasian. And so this Second Temple destruction in the year 70 finally gave way to a humbling and scattering of all the Jewish nation, of all Israel, into the four corners of the earth. And yet, Paul also knew that salvation is not based on how we begin the journey, but rather on how we end the journey. Or, as he wrote in Philippians 2, 12-13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is Elohim, or God, who works in you, both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. So this should give us a good, strong lesson. Again, that it is not how we begin the journey, but it is rather how we end our journey in that we want to overcome and we want to conquer these issues that just seem to doggedly bite us on the heels in every place where we walk. We have to get our act together and, in the name of Yehovah, trust Him, work it out, walk it out through His Word, and do it with fear and trembling. Don't worry about what all those people are saying and doing out there and all around you. Don't let the nations give you a hard time. They're going to hate you, and they're going to hate me. And why? Because they hate Yeshua, they hate Yehovah, and they don't want Him in their lives. So, naturally, as Yeshua said, if they're going to do that to me, they're going to do it to you. So, Shaul then says, For it is Elohim who works in you, both to will and to do, for His good pleasure. And then we have this from Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, referring to all of those mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, 
That's that Hebrews chapter 11 of faith. The people that had trusting faith in Yehovah, even to the point of great persecution and, yes, even unto death. What happened with them? Well, the same thing that could potentially happen to us. If it's not physical, then certainly emotional or spiritual. That is, that to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Yeshua, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of Elohim or the throne of God. So when we accept this testimony wholeheartedly and we receive the witness of Yeshua's words and his actions, it is then a divine guarantee that we are the object of Yehovah's desire and his longing and his deep affection for us. Oh, this is what Yeshua said in John 16, 27. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from Elohim or from God. Therefore, Paul's great conviction also shows us that with Jehovah's giving love, breathing through each and every one of us, that it is a divine giving plan that has several elements to it. One, Jehovah's love lifts us up as the Ark of Elohim lifted Noah and his family up above the violent waters of the flood. The second element, Jehovah's love is believable and, yes, dependable, and he will never let us down. Do we believe that? I would like to think so. Element number three, that Jehovah's love is full of hope and that he is coming to restore justness or righteousness and justice to a world that has become corrupt. And element number four, that Jehovah's love will stay with us through thick and thin if we choose him to fight our battles. If we choose to fight the battles ourselves, well, we're going to wipe out and we're going to burn out and probably in the process get pretty angry with Jehovah and saying to him, why did you let this happen? And we lose faith. Therefore, again, we learn and understand that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and so we can lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and as I would see it, that probably includes that fear factor that we have in shame. We don't want to be associated with certain things of the gospel or of Yeshua, or they're going to bully us or call us names because 
we're standing firm in this truth that we are holding so near and dear. So we need to lay aside that weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, probably having to do with our pride. So the writer says in Hebrews 12, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Yeshua, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of Elohim. Now we'll continue with this thought and this unfailing love that Jehovah has for us after we take our quick break. So join us and we'll come back. This is Avi Ben Mordechai, and you're tuned into Real Israel Talk Radio. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 91. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Well, once again, welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. We're taking a look at Hebrews 12, that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That is, the witnesses of the Hebrew Scriptures from Genesis all the way to Second Chronicles, and yes, even going all the way through to the New Covenant teachings and beyond. So many people with so many stories and testifying of Yehovah that it was not something to be ashamed of, even as Paul wrote about in places like Romans 1.16, where he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah, for it is the power of God or Elohim unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. He also goes on to talk about this idea in 2 Timothy 1.8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our master, nor of me, his prisoner, but to share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of Elohim, and Second Timothy 2.15, to be diligent to present yourself approved to Elohim, or God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of the truth, and so many other additional places with that kind of a principle. Therefore, we learn Yehovah's giving love will never fail. It is unfailingly true. The Hebraic idea that Paul likely had in his mind is a love image based on the Hebrew word nun fe lamed which can be pronounced as nafal. It's an idea expressed in the Hebrew text of passages such as Numbers 14, verse 3. The people were in the desert. They were hungry. They were thirsty. They were hopeless. And so they wanted to go back to Egypt. 
They figured, well, that's a better place than being out here. And so they all collectively say, why has Jehovah brought us to this land to fall by the sword? The word fall there is nafal, that is to die by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Well, I do understand what they're saying. I think it's a horrible thing, but I do understand nonetheless. And at times, I think there are some of us who would also be saying the same thing. Why has he brought us out here into this situation of my life only to fall by the sword and to let my enemies have their will with me? I hate this whole situation, and I'm losing everything, and I'm target practice for those who hate me and for those who hate you. Well, no thank you. I don't care for it anymore. And so we might ask, would it not be better for us to just go back to our old life and leave this redemption story thing in Yeshua? I'd rather leave it than go through what I'm going through now. If you find yourself saying things like this, this feeling is definitely not uncommon. And in a similar way, like Numbers 14.3, this idea that gives us the Hebrew term nafal is also a metaphor for death and dying, such as in Genesis 2.21. And Yehovah Elohim, God, caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs or sides and closed up the flesh in its place. So here, this deep sleep that falls on Adam is from the Hebrew word nafal, and the word is also used in the context of a vision about Abraham's future inheritor, as it's recorded for us in Genesis fifteen twelve. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Avram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. So here, this idea is that of something that falls upon Avram or falls upon Adam, and it has the characteristic of kind of like a coma, a very deep deep sleep where there is really no consciousness. But keep in mind that in Hebrew, nafal also gives us a concept of what it means to experience an intense fall or a collapse or the feeling of abandonment or to have a miscarriage. And this brings to mind the story of Rebecca in Genesis 24, 63 through 64. She is the young lady committing herself to Isaac for an arranged marriage. Here we read, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Now, watch what happens. Rebekah lifted up her eyes This is the idea of a prophetic look as though looking up into the future and 
when she saw Isaac in the present there in front of her, the English text says she dismounted from her camel. But the Hebrew text tells us that when she came off her camel, it was based on the Hebrew word nafal. So perhaps dismounted is not the best word to describe Rebecca's experience when she saw Isaac, either in the present or future setting that she was looking at him. The Hebrew text tells us that she fell off her camel, nafal, and collapsed. I'll save some thoughts on this matter for another time, okay? For Paul in 1 Corinthians 13.8, it would be an unthinkable matter that Jehovah could dare even possibly experience a miscarriage, a collapse, death, or abandonment in his giving and saving and redemptive love for us. No way. It's not going to happen. Yeshua confirms this by saying in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Thus, even to the end of the age, which is immediately preceded by Jehovah's promised last day resurrection declaration, he will never, ever abandon us. And you need to know this. I need to know this. We all need to know this and accept it and believe it. If we should ever cease to think that Jehovah just might leave us or abandon us, it would likely have devastating results. He knows it, and we know it. To believe that it is possible for Jehovah to stop loving us, this will likely lead us to a miscarriage of our faith in Him, or to a collapse, a death, or a falling away from believing in and accepting Yeshua's testimony of the truth towards our redemption and restoration. This is what I believe might have been on Paul's mind when he was referring to this idea of a great departure from the faith or a great falling away from the faith. In his letter to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, where he says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. That's the last day, great resurrection. It will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. And if that falling away comes first, then according to the text of Hebrews 6.6, 6, if they fall away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Ben-Yah, or the Ben-Elohim, the Son of God, and put Him to an open shame. So this is not something you want to be playing with, my friends. Therefore, it is written in 2 Peter 3.17, 
the words, you therefore beloved, since you know this beforehand, about a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day, going back to Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, and Psalm 90, verse 4, going all the way back to those ideas. Be careful, because miscalculations in these areas can lead to our falling away from the faith. And also in Revelation and the verses that talk about the suffering elements in this world due to the opening of the seals of Revelation chapter 6 and the subsequent letting loose of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. All of that stuff is going to cause a great, great falling away, a departure from the faith. Those even among our own communities, they're going to walk away from this faith, being led away by the error of the wicked. Again, 2 Peter 3, 17. So we know these ideas are very important for us to understand. And for Paul, he was trying to neutralize this poison thinking. So he finishes his statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, by saying that Jehovah's love from above is unfailing. It never fails. And so he gives us a number of ideas related to this comparison between Jehovah's unfailing love and our failing faith. Let's take a look at these briefly. Number one, Paul says that prophecies will fail, which is to mean that we will no longer need prophets to speak to us in the name of Jehovah, because in the day of the Olam Haba, that is the Messianic kingdom of Messiah, he is going to be speaking to us directly, even as it is written for us in Exodus 33:11, when he spoke to Moses. Here's the passage. So Jehovah spoke to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. It will be this way for all of us in the Messianic kingdom of the Olam Haba after the last day resurrection. A second idea that Paul mentions is that of tongues. This will cease to be, meaning all the languages of the world will merge into one unified language, even as it is explained for us in the Hebrew text of Zephaniah or Zephaniah 3, 8 through 9. Let's take a look at that. Therefore, wait for me, says Jehovah, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy, for then I will restore to the peoples a pure language that they all may call on the name of Jehovah to serve him 
with one accord. What's important to understand in this passage I've read to you from English is to look at it in the Hebrew text. Because in the Hebrew text, all 22 Hebrew letters are present in the statement. And not only that, but all five of the unique final Hebrew letter forms are also in that statement. That's very, very interesting, because he's talking about a restoration of all the nations and the languages of the people where we are all going to speak one language, and that language appears to be Hebrew. A third point that Paul makes is that knowledge will also vanish away. That means there will no longer be any more need for cerebral exhaustion to learn about Jehovah, because all of us will experientially know Messiah in the Messianic era, as it says in Jeremiah 31, 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know Jehovah, referring to be intimate with him to know him by experience, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says Jehovah. And also this passage from Isaiah 11, verse 9. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Jehovah as the waters cover the sea. So as I am seeking to understand the mind of Paul in this podcast series and to understand what he's driving at, I have come to appreciate what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13, 9-10. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect or complete has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Okay, here the idea of knowing Jehovah in part and speaking for him in part. You see, these models are built on the Hebrew idea of machlaka, which is from the Hebrew word chalak. That means the distribution or the division of a whole unit of something into small parts and portions. So the lesson we are learning here is expressed in Ephesians 1, 13-14. In him, Paul writes, you also trusted after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Ruach HaKodesh of promise, who is the guarantee. This is the idea of a down payment, an earnest good faith payment of our inheritance. So the Spirit was given to us in part to say, I'm going to come and get you and finish the redemption. Here's just a little bit to help you through until I come back to finish and 
complete the job. So until the redemption of the promised purchased possession, as Paul says, that is what we're looking forward to for the last day resurrection. This is our two-part soul and body redemption. All to the praise of His glory, Yehovah. Presently, the faithful believing body of Messiah, Yeshua, is a fellowship of many parts and many portions. Some of those parts and portions arguing and beating up one another because one part wants to be more important than the other part, which I think is just a travesty. That should not be, my friends. No, it should not be. Each one should be sharing in the work of the Ruach HaKodesh. In this, we are doing what has been gifted to us to do for the building up of the whole body unit until our final redemption, which will come to us through the promised messianic last day resurrection. This event is referred to in Hebrew life, language, culture, and scripture as the Techiat Hamatim. It is the expected hope of the last day final redemption resurrection of our body as Paul wrote about it in Romans 8:23 but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit that's what we're talking about in Ephesians 1:13-14 that guarantee that down payment that good faith payment that has been given to us we have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, which is the redemption of our body. That is the resurrection that we're waiting for at the last day. Okay? So this is the ultimate eternal life expression of the love that Jehovah has for each of us, right here and right now. And I say, don't lose sight of this, okay? Now is not the time to be questioning whether any of this is worthy of being believed in or not. Now is not the time to be arguing about the salvation that Yeshua purchased for us with his new covenant, death and resurrection, and if you or anyone should at some point, either now or shortly in the future, should decide that all of this new covenant teaching is a bunch of bunk and utter nonsense because it's just not Jewish enough, at least according to today's Orthodox Jewish theology, or perhaps a decision is made that this new covenant testimony of Yeshua is just flat-out bogus and perhaps even pagan with all this talk that Yeshua died for us, that he sacrificed himself for us, that he spilled his blood for us, that he raised from the dead and all that stuff. If somebody tries to tell you that's all a bunch of nonsense and to make it so nothing— don't listen to people who do that to you, Jewish or otherwise, because 
If you listen to them and they're trying to draw you away from believing in the stuff that we are talking about here, oh yeah, they're trying to draw you away from all of this. If they are successful, there's going to be trouble. Now is not the time to reject this new covenant testimony of Yeshua. Keep your mind open to receiving all of this new covenant testimony of Yeshua. Because if you go by the way and say, I've had enough of it, bye-bye, and you think, I'm looking for something else a little greener on the other side of the hill, or a lot less Christian, as some people are saying, I promise you 100%, you're going to regret it. And in the end, it's not going to go well for you. I'll guarantee you, it will not go well for you. And I'll tell you straight up, I couldn't say these things that I'm saying to you back in the late 90s and the early 2000s, all the way up really until about 2015. Now, I I couldn't say this to you. I was kind of questioning stuff myself. But I'm telling you now, no way. This stuff, it is of the truth and it is worthy to be believed in. Now, let's come back to the next podcast and we will continue with our study on biblical love from 1 Corinthians 13. We still have a few more things to learn before I completely bring this series to an end. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments, do navigate over to our website at www.cominghome.co.il. Again, cominghome.co.il. Take care. Have a great week. And y'all willing, we'll see you back here for a subsequent study. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio.